0: Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our podcast studio, Jay Bender. Jay is an attorney with Baker, Ravenel, and Bender Law Firm here in Columbia, South Carolina, and he has represented the South Carolina Broadcasters Association since 1995, and has also built a national reputation as a lawyer for broadcasters, as well as being the state's leading attorney for print media. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Curtis, and you
0: read that thing I wrote just precisely. Oh, good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always describe myself as a, a lawyer for all of South Carolina's popular clients. Uh, uh, I've represented trailers i represented the manufactured housing trade association indians i represented mm-hmm. the Catawba indian tribe for years okay uh newspapers and broadcasters wow. everybody loves all of those
0: and how long have you been um working as an attorney here in south carolina since 1975. okay wonderful so i'm old and you're not and uh, you went to usc school of law i did i started my
1: undergraduate studies at new mexico state university uh, but got called into the Army in November of 1962. and After uh, a very interesting Army career that didn't involve anything to do with rifles or drills, uh, I came to South Carolina in 1966 when I got out of the Army mm-hmm. and majored in journalism, worked in advertising for a couple of years, and then went back to law school. Okay,
0: what, what made you want to go to law school initially?
1: <laughs> I always say I woke up one morning and when I was in Atlanta working for an ad agency and I'd been dealing with some difficult clients and I said, 20 years from now, I don't want to be doing this because Mm -hmm. everybody's an expert in advertising or Mm -hmm. self-proclaimed. I said, what can I do? And I had been involved in politics and I knew some lawyers and I said, well, uh, I can think, I can write and I can speak. How can I make a living doing that? And the lawyers I knew did that. I mm-hmm. said, well, I'll try law school. So I quit my job in Atlanta, came back over here and said, I'll give law school a try, and
0: mm-hmm. did well enough to keep at it. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's a, that sounds like a, a, a plan. Um, so Also, I wanted to uh, quickly thank uh, Mackenzie Collier over at University of South Carolina Press for helping me uh, set up today's podcast with, uh, with Jay. And one of the things that I wanted us to talk about, which is coming up very soon, that's Banned Books Week. And uh, that's September 22nd through the 28th. Um, here it is, 2019. And just to give folks a little bit of information about Banned Books Week, I have this excerpt from the Band Books Week website. Banned Books Week is an annual event celebrating the freedom to read, so I think that's important that we keep that you know, in, in context. Uh, typically held during the last week of September, it spotlights current and historical attempts to censor books in libraries and schools. It brings together the entire book community, librarians, booksellers, publishers, journalists, teachers, and readers of all types in shared support of the freedom to seek and express ideas, even those some consider unorthodox or unpopular. So I know in libraries, especially here in South Carolina, which I can talk to as I've been in the library field for quite some time myself. I was just figuring it up the other day and it's 32 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books, a lot of time. Um, but anyway, I can I can probably count on w- just one hand the um issues that uh, I know have popped up on a statewide level, but I know there are many more at the local level about uh, people who are, you know, maybe upset with a certain book being in a library's collection, and, you know, they ask for it to be removed, and um, what's, what's your take on uh, banning books, and maybe, you know, how, how you view that as an issue? You might imagine with my
1: First Amendment law practice that I'm not a fan of banning books. Historically, people in power have been afraid of words, particularly printed words, because Mm. they have a life beyond mere speech. And I'm sure that the day after Gutenberg invented movable type, there were people trying to figure out how to ban books. Mm -hmm. And we need to draw distinctions between governmental banning of books and non-governmental banning of books because the First Amendment applies only to the federal government and it's carried to the states through the 14th Amendment. So where you have the federal government or a state government Mm -hmm. all the way down to municipal governments trying to restrict what people can read, you have a constitutional problem. Mm -hmm. Private entities, let's say Walmart, can Mm -hmm. decide not to carry a book And there is no constitutional provision that would require Walmart to carry any particular book. Mm -hmm. but And we probably ought to look at this on a scale. Libraries that provide books for adults Mm -hmm. have much greater latitude and much greater protection against uh, government trying to ban what is in the library and who may read it. Mm -hmm. When you get into the school setting, because the Constitution has been interpreted by the Supreme Court of the United States to give school boards almost ultimate power over what happens in a school district, particularly Mm -hmm. with regard to speech. A school district can ban a book subject to some uh, narrow limitations. I Mm -hmm. saw in the paper the other day that some school district in South Carolina, I believe, had banned to kill a mockingbird Hmm. because they thought some of the language in the book might be offensive to others. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, (laughs) I think since that book addresses head on a major problem in our society today, and that's uh, persistent institutionalized racism, Mm -hmm. we should have books that make people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And we should have them read them so that they have an understanding of the forces that have been at work in our society um, since the 1600s when mm-hmm. slavery first started in the United States mm-hmm. or what became the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it really is interesting to look at lists of books that have been you know, requested to be banned or requested to be moved, and a lot of the ones I was looking through this year's list— and uh, I don't have that right in front of me. But I remember that a lot of them had to do with the depiction of um, LGBT um, uh, references. Or, uh, for instance, if it was like a reference to a, um, uh, two males as a, as a family, as you know, two dads or two, two parents. And um, it's, it's really interesting to me that it seems over and over that lately is the highest ranking issue that people have with with books in libraries. I think there are a lot
1: of people who are homophobic and they want to impose what they believe to be their religious beliefs on the rest of society and I think we as a society are protected by the First Amendment against that. Uh, If your religion doesn't want you to read that book, don't read that book, but don't tell others they can't read that book. Uh, And sex has always been an area where restrictions have been placed on speech. And there is great confusion uh, because the only speech outside of constitutional protection in the realm of sex is obscenity. Mm. And obscenity is defined relatively narrowly by decisions of the United States Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always laugh. We had a police officer in South Carolina who stopped a woman who was driving her pickup truck with plastic bull testicles hanging Mm. from the trailer hitch.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And the driver was ticketed for having an obscene bumper sticker.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, obviously the cop was confused because, A, it wasn't a bumper sticker, and, B, it wasn't obscene. (laughs) Uh And... That's where we run into problems with widespread ignorance about what is protected for readers, writers, and speakers, Mm -hmm. and what may be restricted. Mm -hmm. Now, there can be certain restrictions, as I mentioned, where you're talking about students in school, particularly younger students, but there's also a distinction to be drawn between books that are assigned— and books that are available in the library. I Uh, think there should be a much greater selection of books in the library for mm -hmm, those people, mm -hmm. those children, those young adults who want to read and uh, let it be up to the child Mm -hmm. and the parent. Uh, I remember when I was a child uh, reading a book, Miss Minerva and William Mm -hmm, Greenhill. And as my children were coming along, I said, well, that was an interesting experience and you should always read to children. So I got the book. And started reading it, and it had uh, racial epithets that would never be used in public, and mm-hmm. this was in the book, but that right. was the tenor of the times. Uh, so I edited as I read because I didn't <laughs> want my children uh, using that mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and that's your choice. I exactly. mean, you're their parent, and that's your um, you know your take on that that book, and um, you have that right to, to absolutely do that. <laughs> now you you mentioned the banned books list as
1: i was leaving the law firm to come down here i mentioned that i was going to be on a a podcast talking about banned books and one of the lawyers said that her daughter who is at carolina mm-hmm. uh, had a list of banned books and made it her goal
0: to read all of them on the list (laughs) well you know one of the things that I always think of is that it's some of the best PR for these books you know because everybody wants to look up the banned books and then read them (laughs) well I'm sure that Solomon Rusty
1: was apprehensive when the fatwa was, dis, uh, was oh, yeah. issued against him, but I suspect it helped the sale of his books.
0: Yes, yes, and uh, actually I was at the National Book Festival some years ago and was at the, the gala event and remember Salman Rushdie walking right by me and I thought to myself, is that fatwa still out on him? <laughs> <laughs> and, and how good
1: is their aim? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly.
0: Um, I remember not too long ago, seems like it may be within the last five years or so, that um, there was a book, and I can't remember the title offhand, that was controversial, and it was on a reading list at the College of Charleston, I think is what it was, because uh, I remembered uh, some folks talking about that. And that does go back to, um, you know, you're mentioning books being on a, a recommended reading list versus just books being in the library. And is there any... Um, other kind of uh, detail or any other kind of way in which um, someone, you know, who who isn't comfortable with a book and it, it's on some kind of reading list, what kind of recourse they would have? Or, Well, I'm
1: astonished that a college would even consider banning a book from a, a reading list that had been provided by a professor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we get into tenets of academic, uh, academic responsibility and uh, the ability of a professor to decide what's in the curriculum. Unless right. the book were obscene as defined mm-hmm. by the US Supreme Court, uh, I think you could certainly make the assignment and if a student were uncomfortable, they could go to the professor. Mm-hmm. But given what's gone on in colleges recently, Somebody's mommy probably called the president of the university and said uh, uh, Bubba's got this book that makes him uncomfortable and I don't think it ought to be on the reading list. And Mm -hmm. there was probably massive overreaction by -hmm. the administration. Mm -hmm. But I think that's probably the way it goes. A a friend of mine who's a dean of students at an unnamed university told me that we used to have helicopter parents, Mm -hmm. that they would Mm -hmm. hover over their children but now we have lawn chair parents. Hmm. They drop their children off at school, Mm -hmm. bring their lawn chair and stay with them. Oh, wow. So I never had the opportunity to have a parent call me about a student's grade, but several of my colleagues, particularly in the journalism school, did.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I've had students complain about grades and tell me that I've cost their parents money because they've lost their scholarship, which always turned out not to be true. And I said, well, bring your parents in and I will go over your test scores with your parents. <laughs> but uh, unless you do that, I'm not going to discuss it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Never heard from the parents. Yeah. But banning books is like a case we had in South Carolina years ago on free speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case reached the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's a landmark case in the civil rights movement. It's called Edwards versus South Carolina.
2: Mm.
1: And young African Americans principally high school students gathered at Zion Baptist Church on Washington Street and walking on the sidewalks came up to Main Street turned and came to the State House where they walked around the State House carrying signs urging the end of uh, racial segregation and asking for equal rights. They sang hymns, they sang We Shall Overcome, they sang the Star Spangled Banner and the city manager showed up and told them they had to stop.
2: Hmm.
1: And when they didn't, they were arrested. Mm-hmm. And they were prosecuted. They were convicted in city court. The Supreme Court of South Carolina upheld the conviction. And the U.S. Supreme Court reversed the case, hmm. saying you can't prosecute your citizens for appealing at your seat of government. So it's, it's the kind of governmental suppression of speech that we see in— protests, we see in books, we see in literature. Mm -hmm. And it's just contrary to the notion of a democracy where we have protection against the government suppressing our speech. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I tell people that the First Amendment is designed to protect speech nobody likes. Mm. Barney's song does not need First Amendment protection. But uh, can you imagine what the uproar would be today if one of Thomas Paine's pamphlets were circulated, uh, Sunshine Patriot, uh, mm-hmm. uh, there would be a cry that it needed to be suppressed, mm-hmm. uh, particularly mm-hmm. by the majority in Congress and mm-hmm. the Senate, uh, who, uh, which seems to be opposed to any free thought. Mm-hmm. So I I think the obligation of citizens is to speak up, even if the speech is offensive to them, mm-hmm as long as it's lawful, we should stand aligned with the people who want to participate in that speech and either speak, write, publish, or read. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And if we allow government to suppress somebody's speech, we might be the next target. Mm -hmm. And if we don't stand unified, there's no telling what will happen.
0: what kind of advice would you give to maybe, say, a library director or um, like a school media specialist? And I know they're different animals when we're talking about banning books or or removing items from the collection. What kind of advice would you give to them on just how to deal with that initial request?
1: Well, I think if I were a school resource officer, which I think is what librarians get called these days, uh, I would, and I got the request, it most likely came through the principal, Mm -hmm. and I would marshal my arguments, I would gather some resources, and I would try to explain to the principal that banning books is the antithesis of educating students, Mm -hmm. and try to urge the principal to speak to the school authorities, the superintendent or the school board, uh, to stop the movement to ban the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, If the suggestion, and I use that in quotations, came from a school board member, then I think uh, the teacher would have a more difficult problem, but hopefully there would be some allies on the school board who would see the foolishness of that, and the teacher could either directly or through a surrogate speak to the school board member. Mm. Uh, In a public library, in a municipal library, uh, you get the request. I think the answer is, thank you for your request. Uh, We'll take it under consideration. And if they follow up, yeah, we've taken it under consideration. And the answer is no, this is protected speech in our democratic society. Mm -hmm. If you don't like the book, don't check it out. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people forget, you know, that that the library is open to everyone in that community. And library card holders can check out what they like and not check out what they don't like.
1: There's nobody that forces you to read a book you don't want to read. Mm-hmm. But we have, we've had a history in this country of people in power wanting to ban access to material that that person in power finds offensive personally Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, and you think go back uh, to Comstock who was a a postmaster general Uh, he found any literature that referenced sex to be offensive Mm. and so there were restrictions on sending books that mentioned sex Mm. now it's been my experience that almost every one of us that walks the planet is here because our parents engaged in sexual activity. (laughs) So why reading about that is so offensive to people I don't understand Mm -hmm. but it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we've had instances where government has tried to ban books for a variety of reasons, uh, none of which appear to me to be legitimate but Mm -hmm. then I suppose I'm an absolutist on on this question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do recognize gradations on the audience, on the material, and whether or not it's
0: available for voluntary checkout or Mm -hmm. whether it's on a reading list. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I um, am on a number of Facebook groups, and one of them having to do with libraries just today posted a picture of a book that was large print that was returned into the book drop and uh, the patron had uh, put a sticker on the front and had written on the sticker just the word filth. Uh, because evidently they thought that book was, you know, just full of filth. Now, what I appreciate is that they returned the book. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't throw it away. And did not throw it away. and did not write in it, but they put a sticker on the front. So, Even
1: though libraries, I understand, no longer fine you for not returning a book.
0: Right. There are some libraries that still do. Richland County is one that they have done away with their their fines. And we here at the State Library don't have a fine system, which... Has been in place for a number of years, but I did think that you know that was conscientious. I mean, all they would do, all that patron was doing, was saying their opinion about that book, but they weren't trying to ban it for some. else. Certainly. Well, it'd be interesting <laughs> to know what the book was. Right. Uh, I forget the forget the title. Um, so, have you any experience on working with libraries or or any other kind of library stories that might relate to uh, banning materials, either personally or professionally?
1: Well, yes, th- I have had experience. Uh, Librarians have communicated with me when there have been uh, restrictions on, or attempts to impose restrictions on access, and Mm -hmm. I've talked through them much in line with what we've discussed here, my uh, belief on how the First and Fourteenth Amendment protect not only the speaker or the writer, Mm -hmm. but the reader from governmental restriction. Sure. Even if uh, if I were on the street corner speaking... Mm -hmm my speech would be protected, even though there might be people in the audience who wouldn't want to hear it. Now, we've had a history in this country, and we've had a history even on the campus of the university just a couple blocks away here. Mm -hmm. When William Westmoreland got an honorary degree during the height of the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. there were protests on the horseshoe, Mm -hmm. and the city police from Columbia and the state law enforcement division chased the protesters off campus because they wouldn't tolerate the speech. Mm -hmm. That's an example of the government depriving people who wanted to speak of the opportunity and also depriving people who might want to hear the protest from having the opportunity to hear it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure that the military industrial establishment of the United States that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about did not want to hear those protests and the administration of the university didn't want to be embarrassed for giving a warlord uh, an honorary degree. But You have the right to stand up there and say, uh, I protest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, But librarians have called me. uh, There was a state that enacted a statute that required libraries to purchase a certain type of software that would limit access to adult material. Mm -hmm. And the librarians communicated with me about it because they were concerned that it was an overly broad software Mm -hmm. device and that it would restrict legitimate patrons from accessing material they were entitled to see. Mm -hmm. And they asked me what to do about it. And I read the statute a couple of times and said, well, the statute says purchase the material or Mm -hmm. purchase the software. It does not say install it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. purchase it, have the receipt handy if somebody asks you, and Mm -hmm. you fulfill the statutory obligation. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: I never heard another word about it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's... um those those kinds of questions, you know, pop their heads up every once in a while and it's it's just something that we have to as library staff, you know, especially library administrators just have to constantly be aware of because in public libraries they have to, you know, answer to the director needs to answer to a, a board of trustees. Um, and just like you had mentioned with the school media specialist, they have to answer to a principal who answers to, you know, a um, some kind of governing board. So it's just a matter of donning all your I's and crossing all your T's. Yeah, and react
1: with information and not emotion. If somebody mm-hmm. calls and say, I don't want that book in the school, you might say, well, what are your specific objections? And if they come back and say, well, it's obscene, say, well, here's the test in Miller versus California and this does not appear to me to be uh, consistent with that definition of obscenity. Mm-hmm. If you have some information that would indicate this is obscene, please share it with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's obscene because I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: okay, fine. That's not a legal standard. Right, exactly. And a, a lot of libraries have you know, a form that uh, people can fill out if they are requesting a book to be removed and um, I, I imagine a lot of times when they're asked to explain why, it's just all based on personal preference. I don't like it. Right. I don't <laughs> like it. I don't like it in my co- in my library's collection.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned that the current trend is to uh, ban books that address uh, LBGT mm-hmm. issues. I mean, that's a fact of life in our society. Mm-hmm. Why should not it? there be literature Mm -hmm. on that. There's Mm -hmm. been literature on that since the beginning of writing, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But we have a number of people who, to me, somehow think that reading about something will make you that thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've read plenty of books about major league pitchers (laughs) pitchers <laughs> i was never a major league pitcher so i think that's just at least one anecdote that mm-hmm. reading about something doesn't make you that
0: exactly yep that, and that's a very good um, you know i like to read a lot about gems and minerals but i'm not a gem or a mineral <laughs> <laughs> so you I'm, might
1: you might be a gem but you're just not marketable as a e- gem
0: exactly that's exactly it um, so in wrapping up, what kind of projects are you working on that maybe you have coming up that would be of interest to folks? Well, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had a call uh, just over
1: the weekend. You may recall that there was some uh, unhappiness about the way the new president of the University of South Carolina was selected. and
0: I do think I saw a few or maybe ten headlines about that. And
1: some, some people who are concerned about how the process was uh, run have Mm -hmm. asked me to take a look at some of the things to see if there is uh, a challenge that can be mounted. Uh, I have to applaud my law school classmate and longtime friend Charles Williams from Orangeburg for stepping up. He's on the Board of Trustees. Mm -hmm. And when somebody tried to short-circuit the notice process and ram through a meeting in an untimely fashion, mm-hmm. Charles went to court and got a temporary restraining order mm-hmm. uh, to slow the train down. Mm-hmm. Now, I am such a cynic that I think the people who voted for this fellow
2: mm-hmm.
1: did so because when he was superintendent at West Point, he hired a football coach who reversed the trend of navy winning the army navy game i think uh, navy had uh, won 10 games in a row uh-huh. and this coach has done a remarkable job at west point and in fact uh, two weeks ago army took michigan to two overtimes before losing by three points in ann arbor mm. which is unheard of mm-hmm. since the 1940s mm-hmm. and my cynic nature says that they thought this guy who's the president could get that guy who's the football coach down here so we could stop losing to basketball (laughs) schools like North Carolina and Kentucky. But I have no evidence
0: for that conspiracy. I'm just floating it. Well, you know, it kind of uh, resonates with me. I was watching the University of North Carolina and the USC uh, football game. And, you know, I thought, oh, well, USC is definitely going to win this
1: but we snatched defeat from the jaws <laughs> of victory one more time
0: that's right that's right uh thank you so much for being with us today oh it's been great fun thank you for having me curtis and thank you to our listeners you can find library voices sc on podbean stitcher and tune in radio or add us on your favorite podcast app our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com we love hearing from our listeners so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. Until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.